Race matters. 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 like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it'll continue to be in their hands long after us too. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we're privileged to honour this history of storytelling here today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to El- Gadigal elders past, present and emerging. We're coming to you from Redfern right now. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience of First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Tanya Ali. And I'm Sada Khan. Today we're going to be unpacking some new Netflix TV shows. So Netflix TV shows of a certain budget always attract a bit of attention, but it's kind of next level during ISO, and our interest is definitely extra peak when it's a, when it's a show that seems to be trying to show new POC-led stories on screen. So today we're chatting about the Mindy Kaling created series, Never Have I Ever, which has definitely had its fair share of hype around it over the past couple of weeks, eh? Yeah, absolutely. To directly quote the Wikipedia entry on it, which is not something that I'd normally do, but I feel like this one's worth it. It says, the series has been described as a watershed moment for South Asian representation in Hollywood and has been praised for breaking Asian stereotypes, which not to show my cards too early on, but I do beg to differ about. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait to hear your rundown. They're deadly. Last year, Mindy Kaling, who you may know from her work on The Office and The Mindy Project, sent waves of excitement through uh, the South Asian diaspora social media when she put out an open casting call for three Daisy leads uh, in her new Netflix show. Yeah, and that show only arrived a couple of weeks ago, right in time for quarantine. It's called Never Have I Ever, and it's a coming-of-age comedy drama based loosely on Mindy's own years as a teen growing up in Boston. So the show centres around 15-year-old Debbie, played by Maitreyi Ramakrishnan, a first-generation Indian-American girl who was grappling with the sudden loss of her dad and her complex relationship with her mother and the general ups and downs of high school life. We should probably say too, if you haven't watched Never Have I Ever Yet and you don't want any spoilers, consider yourself warned and maybe save this one to listen back to in podcast form after you've finished the series. So a lot happens in the first ep, and I'm not going to lie, there are things that I'm still trying to get my head around, namely everything about this whole bit that we're going to listen to now, which we hear right after we find out that Davy's father has recently passed away in about the first five minutes of the episode. Davy was devastated, but things were about to get even worse. A week later... Davy's legs stopped working. There was no medical reason why, but they were definitely not working. 
and now she was in a wheelchair. Just because Davy is confined to a wheelchair does not make her any less human. As far as we know, it's not contagious. Yeah, so for the majority <laughs> of the first episode, Davy is in a wheelchair, and there are plenty more strange, offensive jokes where that came from. Uh, and then anyway, like later on in the episode, she regains the use of her legs, and her paralysis is only mentioned extremely briefly in passing from that point on. I literally do not understand <laughs> why they needed to do that. Uh, I honestly, like... It made no sense. It, the, it, and it, it, like, I understand what they're talking about in terms of like a physical reaction to trauma, mm. but it was not. If you're going to go to that extent and you're going to tell that type of narrative, be more thoughtful on it. Give it more time. Like craft. Like you know, weave it out a bit more. It was literally like two seconds, and it did nothing but offer up a space for um, ableist jokes to come out. Absolutely. It was so, so weird. I feel like, yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest before we get into discussing the show as a whole because, yeah, as you mentioned, this, like, bizarre ableist premise is, I guess, thankfully, because they definitely weren't dealing with it well, a very small part of the actual series. Um, But let's backtrack a little bit. I feel like we should maybe start with what we actually liked about the show. Sarah, I know that you watched it with your mum, yeah? What were your thoughts? Um, yeah, I watched with my mum um, together on a Saturday night. We got takeaways, laid back, put it on. Dad wasn't in the house, so that meant we could watch whatever we wanted <laughs> without him running it down because um, he would have definitely run this show down. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it was just like a proper girls' night between me and mum. And it was perfect, like, mum and daughter viewing, especially because of um, certain elements in it that definitely did speak to my experience growing up and I guess like what I kind of the things that I enjoyed about it and I didn't think through enough about it was purely on the setting that I was watching it in which was like a really humble wholesome space with my mother yeah (laughs) and like us just sharing like a really nice one-on-one night together watching this comedy that you know has like Stacey representation representation on it um oh my god my mother's ringing me right now sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) well that is very apt Uh, God, every time I talk about her, she tries to ring through and, like, interrupt in my radio career. I get it, Mum. Like, I spoke to her this morning as well. It's not like I haven't spoken to her. (laughs) Anyway, um, (laughs) when um, we were watching it, like, I didn't – there was that representation in there for me, so I wasn't really sitting there unpacking it. And then, like, Mum and I were just laughing at, like, the um, self-deprecation of it all because we understood that experience of being in Pakistan together as well and – her anger. I think I connected a lot with her anger. Mm. That's what I was really enjoying about it was her unapologetic anger. Um, you know, even though like you know, there's people in the show that shaming her for her anger, especially her mother. Like I copped that a lot as well growing up too. And like as a young like woman of color, where you're trying to um, understand your feelings and your emotions, and then she's going through heavy trauma as well, and then she's copping racism on the side. It's like, yeah, you're an angry you angry little girl yeah. and no one understands it but you and you don't have anyone teaching you how to handle that anger either mm. I can't, that's what I enjoyed about it was the anger part of it because I felt seen in that regard I don't know if they really executed it that well I felt like they could have kind of protected her and that angry part of her that like you know how she was releasing her emotions a bit better mm. but um, yeah that was something that I really enjoyed 
about the show. Yeah. I wish the father was in it more, to be honest. Oh, he was great. I, I really liked him, and I, I remember seeing him in the first ep and, like, knowing that he obviously is, like, only going to be there in, like, moments where he's a ghost or whatever like I was mm. like oh like I can't believe they killed off the best character before we even got to meet him like I know I know frustrating um but I do agree what a great plotting yeah too. I know <laughs> I think the main actress is really great and I think that most of the cast do a lot well with what they're given like I and I'll, I'll expand on this later but I think like some of the dialogue is really cringeworthy but like all the actors are doing their best and I I think like the um, whole cast is really good Uh, I reckon it was like it was really nice to see interracial relationships albeit very briefly that weren't just white people and people of colour in couples together I thought that was nice and like it was nice to see you know all like I mean, I think it's very deliberate that uh, Davy's friends are both people of colour as well. Um, yeah. But it was, it's not always nice to see that kind of representation, super surface level, but good. Um, I weirdly and controversially for sure, I think the episode that I liked the most was Ben's episode. So for context, Ben is the like frenemy of the show. Davy's academic rival since primary school, a super rich, white, Jewish, lonely boy. Uh, and in one of the last episodes of the show, um, you kind of switch perspective from centering around Davy uh, and you get a bit of Ben's backstory. And I found it really compelling, even though yeah. on reflection, I think like the basic story and Ben's family, like it's kind of as tropey as Davy's family um, and her mm, drama. Yeah. But, like, so I'm kind of unpacking whether I found it easier to look past those tropes because it was a white family and maybe I'm, like, less sensitive to stereotypes in stories that portray white people because they already have no shortage of representation. But yeah. I just feel like they treated Be- Ben with more depth and compassion or something. I don't know. Mm. I don't think that's exactly what I'm going to say. It seems so easy to craft out really um, strong protagonist arcs or character arcs for white men, mm. you know, and really unpack and show the rawness of whatever complex they're struggling with. And then for, like, other women of colour, I don't know. It's, I think that has, says a lot, though, about the writers themselves, you know, in terms of, like, maybe us struggling with our own identity, like a lot of stuff that we have to on, which I want to go through a bit later, like I'll leave that for later. Mm. But, like, yeah, I totally agree with that point as well, that, like, his, his story, his episode was so great, but at the same time it's like... Why are you getting a compelling narrative? Yeah. about you? Legit, it is not about you. Yeah, so I thought that was weird. Um, And I really, like, I think the series got better as it went along. I cried. I've watched the last episode two times, uh, and I cried both times. And I really, weirdly, so... I have this weird connection with the song Beautiful Day by U2, which is, like, used in a quite pivotal way in the episode. Like, I remember loving that song as a kid and feeling, like, nostalgia, even though I had nothing to be nostalgic about as, like, a five-year-old hearing that song for the first time. So when that came up, I was like, whoa, this is really hitting me. And I feel like... uh, 
the kind of family dynamic that we saw as we got to see Davy's mum become more vulnerable was mm. nice and felt a bit more fleshed out. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I was just like, I like feel nothing for this mum because I felt like she was really one dimensional, uh, at least in the first yeah. half of the series. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it felt like it took too long to break her down. It took too long to like unravel her and give her that apotheosis moment. Like mm. it took, it was just like, and then by the time it came, I was like, it's the payoff didn't feel enough. Mm. I was like, we could have, we could have done this a bit more. Like she had a lot more opportunity to do it, and you just kept like, there could have been other ways to flesh that moment out. But that's just me as a like creative as well running that part of it down. <laughs> no, totally, totally agree. Um, I feel like one thing that really annoyed me, and I'm excited to hear your take about it, Sarah, uh, was the arranged marriage storyline. Mm. Um, so mm. Davy's cousin, Kamala, is studying in the States and is living with Davy and her mom. And pretty early on, we find out that Kamala's parents have found her a dude and they're set to start the journey that is an arranged marriage, which I feel like is such, like, I was so disappointed that this storyline was in it as soon as it started but I was like okay maybe mm-hmm. they'll do something cool with it um, and then really quickly you find out that this situation is complicated further because Kamala doesn't want to get married because she already has a super hot Asian American boyfriend then uh, the storyline I feel like gets even worse about halfway through the series when the family's at a puja ceremony and Kamala meets a woman notorious in their Hindu community for marrying a Muslim man. Uh, this is her speaking to Kamala now. Yeah, so basically I am the Hester Prynne of the Indian community in the San Fernando Valley. I wish I had a less ninth grade book analogy for it, but it's accurate. So you're ultimately very happy with your decision even though you got divorced? Of course not. No. I mean, look at me. My closest Indian friend is a woman I met seven minutes ago. No, I I wish I just listened to my family and married the guy that they chose. And maybe I wouldn't be divorced. You know, my kids ask about their grandparents and I don't know what to tell them. Maybe they'll get over it. Do you have a sibling who could have a drug problem or go to community college? That would help. No, I got two brothers, both neurosurgeons, had a double arranged wedding with millionaire Hindu sisters. Oh, as my cousin would say, that sucks a fat one. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I think I'm going to head out. You know, these things aren't really that fun when everyone is whispering about you. But hey, good luck on your engagement. And uh, don't screw it up. Yeah? Yeah, so I I feel like what they're trying to do there is to begin to subvert the arranged marriage trope of defying your parents' wishes and marrying for love, but I just felt like that scene was so bleak. What did you think? It was just, it was offensive. It was just a rundown of, like, the Muslim community Mm. with no real context there. (laughs) Totally. You know, I understand that probably, like, Hailing and the writers are trying to show... um, that kind of lateral um, violence and gossiping that happens within the community, especially amongst, like, older women. Um, but I don't, like, it's not unknown, like, I get it, but at the same time, I was like, but you're doing it at the expense of, like, the Muslim community, which is already so, like, um, segregated and ostracised from the wider community as it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, or, like it was... 
Yeah, I've, I've, I felt the same way. I was just yeah. feeling about it, especially when you put it into context um, around what's currently happening between India and Pakistan right now too. Mm, exactly, yeah. I read an interesting article published by an online magazine called Wear Your Voice that called out this moment as one of a few instances of casual Islamophobia in Never Have I Ever. The author wrote, instead of using this moment to challenge Islamophobia, Kaling perpetuates casteist Islamophobia in a time where India's 200 million Muslims are being killed by Hindu nationalist mobs, which like just puts it into perspective. Like it's not even it's not even that casual. It's like quite damaging. And yeah, weirdly, very damaging. they like so easily could have made this like husband that we don't even see a white person and like done the same thing. Like I just I don't understand why they decided to make it a Muslim or just the fact that, like, surely they realised what they were doing there. And also, like, oh, so her marriage broke down because he's a Muslim. Mm. Like, it didn't make any sense. I was like, what is the point you're trying to make with this? Mm. Especially when at the end of it, she's like, just do what your parents say. I was like, Ugh. I don't understand. What the, what are you doing right now? Like, what is the, <laughs> like, point of this? What is the intention of this scene? Because right now it just feels like a rundown. I felt like I had to defend the Muslim community, like my Muslim brothers and sisters in Pakistan. Did you feel the same way? Because you were just like, um, are you saying that because she's super Islamophobic, because she's Muslim, the marriage broke down? I don't know. Now she's ostracized from her community, super regretful about the whole decision marrying a Muslim in the first place. Yeah. Like, so many little tropes in there. I was just like, nah. Yeah, it was not, not great. Definitely super strange. And like, yeah, I'm glad we've unpacked it. Um, <laughs> At that same puja ceremony, uh, we're confronted with... I actually feel like that whole episode was very unsubtle, but um, there are these two particular bits of dialogue back-to-back that we hear that made me, like, I was like, what is going on here? So here's um, the first bit. Uh, It's where Davey's watching a dance performance at the ceremony. Even though Devi was Indian, she didn't think of herself as Indian Indian like these girls, which is a whole other thing. So sometimes she felt a little out of place. They seem cool here, but can you imagine how dorky they would look doing this anywhere else? That's my sister Preeti. Her Bollywood dance group was in the Macy's Day Parade on a float sponsored by Ziploc. So who looks dorky now? Damn, Devi. Preeti's sister really schooled you. Read the room. I just, I don't even know. And, like, I feel like straight after that, Davey then runs into an old friend who I'm guessing is in his first year of college and, like, hits this point over the head, metaphorically. Oh, why are you at this lame fest? Shouldn't you be at Stanford, like, playing frisbee with the computer? I actually really wanted to come. To Ganesh Puja at a public high school in the valley? Are you insane? Tell me the truth. Did they send you home on medical leave? Are you suicidal from Accutane? No. Look... I know I used to clown on this every year, but the truth is, kind of miss Pooja. Are you kidding? When I get into Princeton, I'm never coming back. I'm going to be an atheist who eats cheeseburgers every day with my white boyfriend. <laughs> I thought it'd be that way too, but it was different when I went to college. My roommate Nick is Native American, and he's so into being Native American. At first, I was like, you're away from your parents. You don't have to pretend to care about your ancestry or whatever. But then he took me to their campus powwow. No one was standing in the corner making fun of it. They were dancing and chanting and having a great time and made me think, why do I think it's so weird and embarrassing to be Indian? Where do I start? How about every single thing my mom has ever said and done? I just thought, am I going to be this insecure Indian guy who hates doing Indian things? Because that's his own identity. It's just a shitty one. Well, that's definitely not my identity. 
I love being Indian. Real convincing, Davy. I look more comfortable being Indian. Okay. Firstly, uh... uh I'm hearing it back. I'm just hearing it back so differently. And it's just... Anyway, I know. you go. Okay. Okay. Well, I just feel like, okay, um... Have the creators ever heard of Show Don't Tell, first of all? Never mind. I don't. <laughs> but also, why did the entire show need to be narrated by an old white guy? And for context, if you haven't watched the show, it's like the whole premise is that it's narrated by uh, John McEnroe, who is this tennis player, if you don't know, and Davy's dad was a massive, massive fan of him. Which is, like, cute and all, whatever. But I just don't understand why we needed the story, like, played out by a white person. I feel like it takes away a lot of the agency of the characters. Yeah, definitely. And, like, I also... That scene bordered on Davy being quite self-hating of her identity. And I was like, we've got to be careful of that line, you know? You don't don't want her to be self-hating. You want to show her kind of struggling with her identity, having those little, like, moments of, like, where it does border on that line. But don't go full all the way there where she's fully like, I don't want to be Indian. I just want to eat a cheeseburger with my white boyfriend. I was like, really just jumped over that line. There was nothing, like, thoughtful about it or, like, creatively clever at all. It was a full show-don't-tell moment. Mm. And... I had a, I did I had a problem with that too because I was like I didn't feel that experience growing up and um I'm trying to unpack and understand my racial identity like I don't feel like I ever went to that point where I was like I want a white boyfriend I want to do this and I want to do that I want to do everything that my mother says I can't do like I I never like I just wanted to be proud of who I was and I wanted people to stop running me down for being proud mm. that was where I was and you know it was a different kind of struggle but this one I was just like I can't connect with that struggle. Totally, totally. And I feel like even those thoughts, like as someone who was quite whitewashed growing up, I think you would maybe have them, but you would never say them. Like in your darkest moments, perhaps, like you would like, I don't know, wish you were white or whatever that Davy is obviously going through. But like, I just think that whole dialogue was super unrealistic. Okay, so, like, honestly, speaking from experience of there being a lack of content that represents us on screen growing up and also my own growth and my own identity and having to unlearn that kind of conditioning of pleasing white people, which is what this show is doing. It's trying to please white people. And I think that's that's something that, like, we're all trying to kind of unlearn that conditioning um, of the system in terms of writing content for, like, forgetting that it's, like, we don't want to, We don't need to write content for them. We have to write content for us and how we want ourselves to be seen and other people like us to see themselves in our stories. Like Vivian Femme like went through it as well when she was talking about her book, like writing, like learning, unlearning how to write for like white audiences and knowing that there's an audience there for her literature. And so I think that's what the show was kind of grappling with. And I think it's you know we've got this gate open right now to tell the right stories, um, to tell our stories. Sorry, but. Um, I think we're still kind of, we have a different um, starting point because of the fact that our stories have been neglected for so long. Um, I, I, do, I did love our moments of the show. Um, 
I didn't feel fully represented in it, obviously, but like I did, there were certain moments in it where I was like laughing along. I did connect with it. It was, it was very wholesome in those moments. It is a very innocent show too, which I really liked. I was, one thing I really liked about the show was that the teenagers were teenagers. Mm. They weren't trying to be adults. Like, I, like the OC and Gossip Girl, which is super unrealistic. Like these, they, they were kids still. But yeah, but I just feel like we're still, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad struggle that like we as content creators and creators of colour, we do have different challenges because there's different things in our own identity we're still unlearning and unpacking. And I think that's what this show was kind of struggling with. Totally, totally. And it is weird as well whenever we're having these kind of conversations and I feel like I'm ripping into a show, there's always a point at which I start to feel kind of guilty because I know that it's so unrealistic to expect this like perfect representation, like literal decades of not seeing yourself on screen to be reversed by a little teen drama. And I feel like we need to acknowledge and actively work against the inherent burden of representation created by a lack of POC and First Nations led and produced shows. There is room for all stories. And I feel like if this show does open the door to more underrepresented creators feeling like they can achieve things and maybe Netflix giving more money to underrepresented creators uh, to make yeah. stuff, then, like, let's go. Let's do it. Um, yeah. But- I think that's a great point. And, I, yeah, like, it's kind of like maybe we should just use Never Have I Ever as, like, a starting point, <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a launch pad for more content. Like, you know, this doesn't have to be the only form of content that represents us. Absolutely. Sarah, I feel like we could talk about this literally all day. Maybe we'll have to do a special episode of Race Matters and go into it even further. But that is all we have time for. You've been listening to Race Matters. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts or at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters. 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 Race matters.